0: Hello and welcome back to Cooking the Books with me, Jilly Smith, the podcast which takes us through four food moments from the books of our favourite food writers. It's about all of life through the prism of food... And this week, I'm exploring the secrets of Britain's Desi Kitchens with Britain's best home cook finalist, Sarah Woods.
1: You know, in the past, immigration has been framed in a in a negative narrative. And I think it's taking back that story and saying, hold on a minute, let's celebrate what we're contributing. And that's the essence of Desi
0: Kitchen. Her book, Desi Kitchen, is part of the current crop of second-generation Indian cookbooks, which are hitting the shelves right now. But Sarah tells the story of the communities from the Indian subcontinent in which Desi people have enriched so much of Britain with their food and spiritual culture. I asked Sarah why she was so keen to introduce this word, Desi. Into the British vernacular,
1: it was actually to tell a story because I think that um, I mean, for starters, many people may not know what thisi means. So, I myself, uh, I was born and raised in the West Midlands, but my parents came from the north of India uh, in the Punjab. So, my identity is quite blended in a sense; it borrows from a number of different uh, cultures, uh, and uh, you know, that's that, that's what you know is involved in being thisi, and and I guess that that identity is then transferred onto our food taste is very diverse and nuanced because I mean there is no such thing as Indian food there is no such thing as, a, as an Indian person in many ways because you know it's all about you know your identity is so wrapped up in regionality um, and uh, you know it, it's hugely nuanced it's telling that complete story and, and, and the various uh, communities that make up the Indian subcontinent.
0: Yeah I mean as I just said to you apologies for my bleary brain this morning because I'm still recovering from Gerd Loyal's book launch last night and out this... this... This week on Cooking the Books, as we're talking, is Gerd's episode uh, about second generation uh, Indian cooking. It's about this explosion of flavours, the flavour cords, as he calls them, which is unpacking all these different influences and making it your own. But what I get from your book that's quite different, Sarah is that it is a celebration of all of those different Desi communities all around the country. And I love the essays. I love the recipes, my God. And they do come from all the different um, communities, the Kashmiri, the Nepalese, Mm. the Sri Lankan, the Bangladeshi, the Pakistani. You know, there are people from those different countries living in Britain, cooking amazing food, and you've spoken to a lot of them. Let's just start there. Tell us about the different areas. So you grew up in the black country in the West Midlands. So first of all, take us to your story. I guess for me, in order to understand a
1: food culture, you need to understand its people. Um, so uh, there's a big Punjabi community uh, in the West Midlands and the black country. So that was my starting point. So I told the story and I think food, you know, it, it's it's about intertwining um, culture, identity, history, uh, you know, these are all wrapped up together. So it starts with the arrival of my um, grandfather who came to the UK uh, in the 1960s. Um, After the Second World War, the the country needed to be rebuilt and it relied heavily on um, immigrant labour. And, um, you know, there was uh, an invitation to citizens of the Commonwealth to to, to come uh, to Britain to help in this uh, rebuilding of the country so he answered that call as you know many people did um, and um, then when he was settled uh, he called over my father and my grandma uh, and my dad was 12 years old when when he came to the country so you know I grew up around gosh just just such amazing traditions uh, one of the key features of Punjabi cooking is uh, tandoori cooking so granddad even built a tandoor in the back garden um, and they were fantastic gardeners they Grow their own fruit and veg, um, and I guess because ingredients weren't as readily as available as they are now, they grow all kinds of, of, of vegetables. Um, we loved our greens, so spinach, fenugreek leaves, which is called methi. There are these uh, radish pods; they're called mungre. Which are absolutely delicious, sharp and peppery. So they had some of these ingredients that you probably wouldn't find in your local supermarket. Uh, and, uh, you know, I just grew around this culture. They cooked from scratch all of the time. Uh, they always ate seasonal produce. Um, it was, uh, it was, I come from a large family, so, uh, dinner times were, were a busy period. Um, and we always had lots of visitors. Uh, and because my, my grandmother, and my mother were exceptional cooks we couldn't get rid of these
0: people so it was it was chaotic bliss that i remember growing up around in but it was just wonderful but also, you know, you were talking about the, the workforce mm-hmm. being brought over, but it was brought over from all over the Commonwealth as well. And so you yes, were rubbing shoulders yes. with, you know, British Caribbeans as well. And you, you talk, t- you write about the influence of that in, in the food. The smells must have been absolutely amazing in the black country and particularly in Hansworth, which we, we sort of know most for the Balti. Well,
1: an actual baldi, uh, to give its proper pronunciation, yeah, means, means like a big, it's a, it's a bucket. So it's food that was cooked kind of in, in, in vats and huge quantities, really. Uh, but yes, it's a thing. And, uh, uh, you know, you've got, it's typified Punjabi. It's predominantly Punjabi flavours in the Midlands. And it's typified by these big, bold, gutsy flavours um, and lots of dairy. So, you know, it's all the good stuff. So, you know, the cream, uh, the butter, you know, you chuck that all in. Uh, it's very robust
0: yeah take us briefly as we spin around the country to um, Sabrina in Glasgow for example you talk about Glasgow as a, an amazing place mm. uh, for Pakistani settlers they went mm-hmm. to the Gaubles, um as peddlers first of all selling door to door and that kind of entrepreneurial culture is celebrated very, very much in Glasgow that you can, you can go to the, the museums, but also the festivals they're celebrated as well. It's very embedded, isn't it? Tell us a little bit about your story about Sabrina, who represents Glasgow
1: yeah i guess i wanted authentic voices to represent each of these uh communities to really bring them to life uh and and you know i'm i I can write you know confidently about the punjabi community because that's my heritage but for the pakistani community uh, and there's a big pakistani community in, in glasgow as you rightly point out i wanted an authentic voice to really uh you know you know just just give it that life and uh um, Sabrina's story was was very very lovely. So originally there were many immigrants. It's a big immigrant area, the Gorbals in uh, um, in Glasgow. Um, and her grandfather. So a lot of move, a lot of the movement for for, for people um, was as a result of um, independence and the partition of India. So there was lots of the Punjab was a state that was split. So her grandfather came from the Pakistani side of the Punjab. And he actually didn't mean to stay. He came en route to Canada um, and he came with just only £5 in his pocket. And as you say, he worked as a peddler selling door to door because, uh, you know, he'd sell stockings um, and, uh, you know, various various wares. Um, And uh, once he was settled, he called for for his wife and his wife then joined, uh, you know, in in turned into a family business. She would manufacture and make these garments that he would then go and sell door to door. Um, and, you know, obviously he was very entrepreneurial, very successful. You know, he spotted the gap in the market and he made hay. Uh, and ultimately, they went on to set up their own manufacturing business, their clothes manufacturing business. They wanted to employ hundreds of people. He became hugely successful, a millionaire, no no, no less. Um, and I guess once he was settled in Glasgow, he just couldn't leave the place because he fell in love with it. Mm. And there's so much exciting fusion and blending of of, of, mm. of different cultures in uh, in in Glasgow and in Scotland generally, because you've just got that, you can blend from that natural, gorgeous natural larder. Mm. Um, so that's one of my favourite recipes, very, very, um, you know, fab recipes in there. Uh, yeah. And and also a chicken tikka, a spaghetti a la chicken tikka masala, Ooh. because chicken
0: tikka masala was the, its birthplace was... Glasgow, by all by all accounts, yeah, indeed, and then Gerd actually tells that wonderful story about this sort of circular made in Britain, taken back as a sort of a, 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 a pastiche of Indianness. To India and then bring it back to Britain as this kind of reinvented Indian thing. Um, so you you said that you didn't know very much about South Indian food when you were starting to research the book, and there were lots of things, lots of new things that you bump into. You you talk about the Zoroastrian community in in, mm. in London. You, you didn't know very much about it. I mean, a lot of us wouldn't know very much about it. But you bring these to life through the stories of the people in essays, and that's really important, isn't yes. it? It's sort of. I mean, I love, I interviewed Claudia Roden recently, and she talked about when she was writing the book of Jewish food, she was going into kitchens to find secret recipes, these secret mm. lives of people who we live next to. And this is what you do. The, the book is very rich in story. Um, I love Anil, uh, for example, um, a data scientist, uh, lives in Bradford. He's a football coach. Um, mm. Gives free lessons uh, to young kids in who want to play football in one of the most deprived local authorities. Um, mm. And you give those statistics: fifteen um, percent of the district households are in fuel poverty; twenty-two percent of children living below the poverty line. Somebody like Anil comes in and offers free training to young kids in football. What a huge difference somebody like that will make to the community.
1: Mm. Well, it's not only a celebration of food um, because I think you really need to get. Uh, I guess in many ways, the, the book is written to feed your mind, body, and soul. You know, there are recipes to to nourish you, and it will feed your mind in terms of an education piece because it talks about you know the context for the movement of people, the history, uh, and there's also spirituality to feed your soul because it will tell you about um, you know the religions of some of these uh, some of these communities, and um, you know that the, the particular anecdote that you've that you've pinpointed and Piece of the, um, uh, 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 the Muslim faith. And one of the pillars of Islam is charity. So I wanted to, to, to celebrate um, and give a platform to the wonderful work that's being done in the community, you know, the real positive things. And there's so much being done for charity within, uh, you know, the, uh, the Muslim community and the Muslim faith. Equally, you mentioned Zoroastrianism and Parsis. I knew nothing, next to nothing about Zoro- Zoroastrianism. And uh, it's, it's very philanthropic. It's based on three values, which are good thoughts, good deeds, uh, and good words. Um, and there's a lovely story uh, um, that's connected with that chapter, and it's Parsi folklore. Now, the Parsis were a persecuted faith that came from Persia, and they sought asylum um, in the Gujarat initially um now uh, their priests came to uh, King Rana Javad um and you know sought, sought solace and there was a communication barrier so um uh, you know King Rana's council sent um, a glass full of, of milk brooming to the top to convey that our country is, 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 is we're full, we can't accommodate you, you know, we can't give you the asylum that you seek. So the very clever um, Parsi priests, they added sugar to this milk to sweeten it, um, to, to send the, back the message that we will improve your land, we will add value with our good thoughts, with our good deeds, and you know, we will enrich the land that, that we settle in so impressed they were granted asylum and that's precisely what they went on to do and i think in a wider context it, the book is a celebration of, of how these desi communities are adding sugar to the milk in the uk lovely
0: yeah, absolutely. I did a book about Australian food back in 1998, um looking at all the ways of immigration and how much better the food was. I mean, the food was pretty awful before mm. uh, the 1950s when the the Italians first came over and then in the 60s the Greeks came over mm. and then in the 70s the Vietnamese boat people came mm. over and now look at Australian food culture it is just wonderful the riches are in those stories I remember also going to um, a supper club with um, Sri Lankan women Mm -hmm. who had as very often happens because Mm -hmm. they don't have the money to come into town uh, they stay within their community and they don't learn language and they're very isolated and there was this fantastic supper club Charity that brought them out, showed, got them to show off their food and explain their food in very broken English to people like me who really couldn't get enough of it. The food was incredible. They were so proud, so amazed to find people just loving their food that it was an entry level. To, for them to be able to really slowly learn the language. So food is a way of getting these communities out into the wider world and being seen and, and appreciated. I
1: completely agree. I mean, even, you know, I, I'm, I'm talking about the diversity of these different um, uh, communities, but the, the unifying factor is that food uh, is our love language, food and feeding. And we're all united by this. Um, And I guess with immigrant food, it kind of, you know, it breaks down any geographical barriers in many ways, doesn't it? And, you know, I think there's a real zeitgeist, and and quite rightly, uh, about this story. Because I guess you know, in the past, you know, immigration has been framed in a you know, an, a, in a negative narrative. And I think it's taking back that story and saying, hold on a minute, let's celebrate what we're contributing. And that's the essence of Bessie
0: Kitchen. It is, and absolutely rightly so. Um, when you were on Britain's Best Home Cook, of which you were the finalist, one of the finalists, um, did, were you able to talk about this with Mary Berry and Angela Hartnett and Chris Gavin? I mean, was, was that... Were you able to have those conversations on telly, which tends to dumb things down?
1: Um, no, I, I wasn't able to have those conversations, really, um, which is a shame. And, uh, you know, I, I guess that's a reason for writing the book is, is to get these these stories um in this celebration really out into a wider audience but um, I wasn't making some fusion type recipes which uh, I'm not quite sure what Mary made of it because I think and and I guess that's why I wanted to tell both sides of the story to to please to please everybody and to please people like Mary who does really like the classic cooking and and, you know it's a classic for a reason Uh, and she's a very wonderful wonderful lady is Mary she's a winker I got several Mary Berry winks um, and thankfully she liked my cooking um, she doesn't like it too spicy though and that's another part of indian cookery which is you know it, it's not just about adding chili heat it's about balancing the flavors and yes. the spices and layering everything up in the book you know it offers both classic uh recipes but also you know the reinventions how it's how the cultures have been
0: blended because i think that in itself tells a story too on which let's go into your first uh, food moment uh green goddess sarg This is about nostalgia. Yes. Um, You say that Mary Berry likes it classic. Well, actually, it's authentic in in this telling, isn't Mm -hmm. it? Tell us about this.
1: Um, so yeah, I, my my food memory is sarg. It's called sardsnog sarg, um, and uh, to give it its its, its proper name, uh, and it is transportative because, as I mentioned, my my pe- my grandparents grew their own own vegetables, and we had loads of spinach. So one of the main ingredients in in sarg is is, is spinach, um, and then also uh, fenugreek leaves, um, coriander, lots of garlic, chilies, and uh, you know it, it's it's just utterly delicious, and it's thickened with cornmeal. And my, um, I just have visions of my my grandma just kind of bent over picking picking all of the all of the greens, all of the spinach. It was a real labour of love back then, um, and you know then the sink would be awash with greens because you know we'd have to clean wave after wave. It was it was it was very much a you know a, a shared uh, you know all, all hands on deck uh, process. Um, and then, you know, it would be, the greens would all be boiled. Um, and then there was this uh, ferocious looking contraption. It's almost like a foot scythe. It's called a dart. Um, and it's a wooden block with this menacing looking curled blade that my gran would kind of really dexterously, um, you know, chop. Um, and then you boil them up and then you then you have to bash them and she had this huge this really really large uh, wooden pestle that that we'd bash them with and again it was a real labor of love nowadays you know just to let your listeners know it's a much easier process you just use a stick blender um but uh, but yeah and it it just it just transports me back uh, and it's it because it was a labor of love it's to me nothing tells you that i love you more than sarg And
0: my mum still makes it by the vat load. And it's her expression of love. But it's interesting. Whenever I talk to people about food memories, they remember the process. I mean, they do remember the taste and they remember the smell. But it's generally the smells of the cooking wafting through the Mm, house or... Uh, the turning of the the mincer, or the the the, the pounding of, mm. or the collecting of the vegetables from the garden, yeah. or something like that. It's really interesting. It's a sort of a muscle memory as well, mm. nostalgia, isn't it? I think so. Um, rather than just something being given to you on a plate mm. and remembering that. No, it's the the making of the cake and the licking of the bowl yeah. and its process. It's 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 really interesting. Um, your second food moment takes us to Kashmir, which I very much like to go to right now. Now. Um mm. the Tabak Mars lamb ribs. This again is an example of you finding something new uh from the the wider diaspora takes to Kashmir for a moment. Well this I would
1: describe as the meat lovers chapter uh because Kashmiris love meat. Uh, they're very much—it's very much a, a nose to tail kind of eating society. No part of the the animal is wasted. Quite rightly, um, and um, gosh, these these tabak mars—it's it's it's a, it's a lamb rib, and they're cooked twice. So first, they're they're boiled in a fragrant broth with lots of spices um, and a combination of water and milk until they're absolutely tender. Now, the thing that I would say about these ribs is you've got to have the right cut of rib. So nothing too bony, nothing too fatty, uh, but my butcher calls it a riblet, uh, so it's nice and meaty. So uh, the first process is that you you, you kind of, uh, uh, you know, you, you're, you're boiling them until they're, they're tender. Um, and then the second phase, traditionally, you would fry them off in ghee. However, that's a bit too rich for my liking. So what I do is I roast them to render the fat a little more. Uh, so they go all lovely and, and gnarly. And I use um, a honey and vinegar glaze. Um, and then a spice blend called, um, it's a, there's a spice blend in Kashmiri food called Basar masala, which I've, i have to say i've become slightly addicted to uh and obsessed about because it's just gorgeous i mean you can add uh you know garlic granules and onion granules to it and salt and make it uh uh, you know an all-purpose seasoning almost like a desi cajun cajun spice it's it's Mm. it's delicious um so then these uh uh, these ribs are are, are roasted with this honey glaze and then this 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 spice blend um and oh god it it it's just one of those moments it was it was squarely a foodgasm moment (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, and, you know, you've got the, the various condiments. I, I like to have it with dill because I think it comp- complements the, uh, the, the flavours so well. Feta, mint, uh, sliced red onion. It's, it's just divine
0: yeah because these are sort of you know the thing about Kashmir is is it has very very different flavors doesn't it it's not spicy and hot chili it's much more fragrant i mean it's very cold in areas of Kashmir as well and, and it can get very cold yeah the way that you're describing those those flavors it feels quite afghan to me um yeah you know, yeah absolutely it, it is very yeah. very different um taking us from their right down to South India, which, as you said before, you didn't really know very much about, the roti. Tell us about where you got it from and a little bit about the story behind it. This recipe, it was
1: it was really lovely, you know, getting under the skin of of, of the culture again, uh, you know, speaking to Manga, who was the voice of this chapter. Uh, and it was actually heartbreaking and understanding, I guess, you know, why there's such a big um, Sri Lankan community in, in, in London. And, and obviously it was escaping a war-torn country and, uh, you know... Sorry to veer off, but it's it's it's. I guess you know it's understanding the risks mm. that that generation took mm. in order to, to you know save their families, and you know having a, you know a human element to to, to to this you know community. Um, I guess we take different risks than you know. I talk about this in the anecdote is that the risk that 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 manga took. She was very dutiful as a daughter because, you know, in uh, you know in these Desi communities, it's it's a doctor, lawyer, um, or, or or accountant that that are acceptable careers to follow. And she took the risk uh, of uh, of setting up her own clothes business. So there's a lovely story wrapped up in that. Um, And the reason that I I loved the whole of the, all of the recipes in the Sri Lankan chapter, but I particularly like kottu roti because it's a dish for leftovers. So it's something that you can easily whip up during the week. So yes, you've got your spices, uh, you've got your coconut oil, but then you've got your spices like uh, fresh fresh curry leaves, uh, black mustard seeds, you know, the the, the coconut and you can use fresh coconut in this too. But I love the fact that it's bringing in leftover, a leftover curry, and you can use whichever curry you like, you know, whether it's chicken, seafood, you know, whatever it may be, as long as it's got lots of sauce. And it's literally just frying everything on in a wok with lots of vegetables, lots of chopped up parathas or chapattis. Um, and it, it just the flavours just dance on your tongue. And I, I love it because it's accessible in the sense that you can whip it up midweek and just have something that's transportative and amazing that uh you know transports you off to Sri Lanka but you will have done the hard work over the weekend because I think I guess it's different occasions for the but for, 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 you know different styles of cooking sometimes you want something quick and easy and and I think every good cook needs um you know um a dish great dish for a recipe for leftovers because uh you know it's 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 an essential part of managing your fridge managing your ingredients and home
0: economics really isn't it yeah absolutely and what does manga think about her world coming into your book as part of a greater story of the desi community in britain
1: she absolutely loves it, and you know it's it's been you know it's always a bit a bit um, a bit scary and a bit nervous. It's like okay, I've written this story, I've re- I've shared her story. Is she going to like it? And uh, you know, to my relief, all of the contributors have loved their story because I guess it's because of because of what Dessie Kitchen is saying. Yeah. It's not only spotlighting and highlighting the diversity and saying, look, there is no such thing as Indian food. It's hugely diverse. Just look at how diverse it is but then also a celebrating of the contribution that's being made, but also
0: providing the context of the history. It's providing that complete story. Yeah, I do hope that it's going to become a television series. Have you already been talking about it?
1: Yeah, I mean, this this conversation's being had, and yeah, it it does transfer well to, to, you know, a docu series because there's so much there. It's it's not, as I I say, it's not just. It's it's more
0: than just a cookbook. Mm, Watch this space. Your final food moment is uh, apple and jaggery crumble. Of course, it had to be a layered British classic tell us about this one
1: puddings are my favorite all of our family love puddings and i do confess i i do not like indian sweets um i assume a uh you know give me the crumble give me the trifle give me the cake give me the custard anything with custard so uh, you know it's something we've always um as a family really loved uh but um this is particularly special because again it, it, it connects to my grandma so unfortunately later in life she got ill she got poorly and um she uh, she had cancer and you know as part of the treatment you lose your taste buds and you know it's it's almost devastating you know when you're a you know you're you're an exceptional cook you know food is your life um and you know to lose your taste buds and she'd started getting her taste buds back you know uh, after after one particular uh, you know uh, cycle of treatment and i went over and i made her a a, a crumble. um and um she'd just starting tasting the flavors again and she the just the look and the delight on her face um and uh, you know she said to me, "Oh, oh, you've made a desi. You've made a desi crumble. It's not just any old crumble. It's I'd put clove and cinnamon and and all kinds of stuff in it. I didn't put clove and cinnamon in the actual book because I wanted to celebrate jaggery, which is an unrefined sugar cane, as you as as as, um, as you'll know. Just because of the you know, I love the fudgy toffee like flavours of it, and I just wanted to celebrate that in its entirety. But um, it, it's just the." It's just the, the, the look and the, the, the happiness that it, that it gave her kind of, you know, it, it, it reflected back onto me, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, it gave her so much joy and then seeing the joy on her face gave me joy in return and you know that's that's why it stuck with me and that's why it's an important um in, an important recipe I mean we grew our own apple you know apples we had lo- all kinds of fruit trees at home so crumbles were often on for pudding but this particular one has a special an apple uh crumble has a has a special place in my heart for that very reason just just it, I just see her face the joy on her face and what would she say about the book I think she'd be hugely proud. Uh, My my parents are are, are very proud. Um, And it's a shame that she couldn't see it because she's been such, uh, you know, a big part of it, really. And I dedicated the book to her. You know, they were the original vesses. You know, they were the ones that came, the first generation that came to the UK. Um, And, you know, they took that risk. Um, and I just have so much admiration for that generation. I guess when you're growing up, you don't always appreciate it. You know, as a child, you know, you're just like, oh, grandma wants me to wash up or grandma wants me to do something in the garden or, you know, gosh, why am I having to do this when I'd rather be playing with my siblings? But, you know, I the bravery involved in uprooting your family, starting a new life in a country where you're not necessarily fluent in the language, it's completely alien to your way of life, uh, and thriving the way they did, that whole generation, I just have the most amount of respect for them. Because, as I say, they, the, the risks they took were the risks of survival. They couldn't afford to fail, and they didn't. Um, and you know it's thanks to them that 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 I have the blessings that I have now. And I guess I'm taking a different risk, you know, my risks are to follow my dreams and to follow my
0: passion, uh, and not necessarily be a doctor or a lawyer. <laughs> thanks for listening. Do follow me on Instagram. I'm at foodjillysmith, and you can also find a little surprise every week on Substack, as I ask my guests for a little extra bite. Just search for Jilly Smith on Substack, and I'll see you next week.